Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, the tennis podcast by fans. On today's episode... Andy Murray misses out on the Australian Open. Yastrzemska's doping appeal gets turned down. And the ATP Cup group draws are unveiled in Melbourne. Kim, tennis is currently in a state of pause at the moment whilst players are in their in their quarantine. But really, there's been no let up on tennis news. Some big news, which we'll get onto the sec for British fans as well. I feel like this week has been a bit of a roller coaster for personally for my emotions. It's been it's been very exciting, you know, getting closer and closer towards some proper live tennis with all the big guns coming back but really kind of when that news hit of of Andy Murray not being able uh, to make the trip down under um, on Friday it really was like a dagger to my heart and it was feel like it was compounded by the fact that it was a day it was my day off from work which I was looking forward to and then I got the breaking news bulletin and yeah it was just a bit like oh it was a big sigh yeah, I I know how much of a Murray fan you are, Joel. So I I was um, when I heard the news, I was just you know disappointed um, on your behalf, and, and you know also disappointed because I was looking very much forward to to Andy being out there and and to see what he could do because he hasn't had much luck of late. Um, you know, he wasn't able to play there last year, and obviously two years ago that was when we saw his uh, kind of premature retirement ceremony out in Australia. So I was really looking forward to seeing him kind of go back. And, you know, um, just see how he would get on. And I mean, he's just been very unfortunate because if he'd have, you know, tested positive upon arrival in Australia or even been on one of these affected planes, he would still be in a situation where, you know, by and large, he would be able to compete. But the fact that he tested positive before, you know, getting on the plane meant that he's now stuck in the UK. They haven't been able to arrange a way of him you know, going out to Australia, doing a kind of modified 14-day quarantine. You know, he's been um, in talks with Craig Tiley, but it's just not not happened. Um, it's just not to be, um, which will be very frustrating, I'm sure, um, for, for Andy. Yeah, he said, uh, you know, in the in the media, it was kind of talked about that he was devastated by the fact that he wasn't able to get out there. I think other a few other players were in similar situations. I've noticed uh, Zhao Souza from Portugal, I think, was in a similar predicament, also not able to find a way to get out there. And I think the crux of it is that, as you said, that modified, they were hoping to do a modified quarantine out there. That just wasn't possible. And as a result of that, it's a really kind of, yeah, it's like, it's a really bitter pill to swallow because, you know, Murray, obviously, we, we came back from, uh, you know, that hip surgery. He had that fantastic win uh, at the European Open in, in Belgium. And really from there, it's just been a bit stop start and, and a lot of stalling. And, you know, I always kind of remember back to when he was fit, 
you know, we went into kind of the, the, you know, that first pause and it does feel like he's had a, you know, big dose of, um, sort of things go against him and it feel really unlucky. And it's, you know, it's really, I guess it's frustrating from, you know, British fans point of view, because of course we want, we want to see him out there. You know, we know his pedigree at this competition, you know, he's a five time finalist, but it's, I think it's also quite, you know, it's quite symbolic, you know, the, you know, you talk about, you know, two years ago, you know, this was the, the event where people thought he was going to retire and, um, you know, it was very emotional, you know, that match after, sorry, that ceremony after his loss to, to Bautista Agu. I'll always kind of remember that. And we always kind of, you know, now look back on it with a bit of, uh, you know, with a bit of humor and look at it and just being like, oh God, that was a bit awkward. But there is that sort of symbolic kind of connection, I think. And it would have just been great to kind of see him back on those courts and, and and see how he would have done because again we we spoke about the fact that you know he seemed to be in, in good nick you know he had the those two wins against Evans uh, and Norrie in that mini battle of the Brits over Christmas he looked good um, in in training but uh, yeah it's just just deeply frustrating he you know wasn't able to kind of do I guess quarantine in you know in the UK go over and then and then play his tennis. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's, unfortunately, I hate to say it and I, you know, I always don't want to say it, but it probably is, you know, it probably is the right call. I mean, if he had gone out there, I, I would have been really interested to see the, you know, the fans, you know, the fans reactions to it um, of, you know, of, of Australian residents, because, you know, he is a fan favorite, you know, people love him all over the world, including Australia, where he's certainly made his mark. But, you know, again, there is this sort of tension at the moment, I think, with with particularly with residents in, in Melbourne about, you know, players coming in and getting you know special privileges. This probably would have been the absolute um you know, culmination of of that. If if he had gone out there, it, it probably would have been another sort of, you know, player gets a you know pre- privileged uh, and preferential treatment over everyone else. Yeah, not just for the local residents. I think amongst you know the rest of the players as well. If if mm. they were to do a modified uh, quarantine yep. just for Andy, I think that would stink of uh, special treatment for the big guns. And there's already you know calls about that going on. What with the the top players out in Adelaide um, with a more relaxed quarantine there. So I think <laughs> it's. Um, yeah, that would just add fuel to that fire, I think. Uh, and I mean, in terms of British perspectives as well at, at the tournament, you know, Carl Edmund's not there either through injury. So we've got Dan Evans and Cam Norrie. So we're, we're quite a bit down on on our kind of, you know, for example, like the, the number of, of players we had at the US Open. Um, but uh, so British hopes greatly reduced. Not that I thought, you know, Andy would have gone particularly far in the tournament. Um it would have been really interesting to see how he would do. And and now I guess, you know, there's no tournaments in Europe uh, for a good month uh, for the ATP. So it's, I don't know what he's going to do really um, in terms of his schedule, play a few Chally events. Um, it's, I guess it's just a big setback uh, in terms of, you know, but maybe it'll come to benefit him further down, you know, a few months down the line, he'll be feeling, you know, extra ready to go then, but we'll see. It will, yeah, I think then, yeah, it will be all eyes on what he does next because if he was willing to you know he was willing obviously to go all the right all the way around the world um you know on a really long flight um and you know do x y and z jump through loads of hurdles to you know play um play at the australian open i'd be interested to see what his um you know whether that sort of um 
appetite stays and you know he's like right i just want to get back out on a tennis court don't doesn't matter where that is and whether that leads him to play some some challenger events before kind of the atp schedule um atp sort of tour level schedule gets up and running again so it will be interesting from that point of view uh, you know, so let, let's wait let's wait and see i think you know we're all sort of you know feeling for him at the moment given you know of course everything that he has been through but we know andy murray is a fighter we know he's one of the the hardest workers on on the tour and um we we know that we're going to see him back on the tennis court and i wonder i wonder where that will be i i'm i'm sort of hoping yeah he can kind of you know lean himself back into competition potentially you know, starting, you know, at a challenger sort of level but, and then kind of going going his way up. Um, and that, you know, that potentially could, ben, you know, that potentially could benefit him versus, you know, going straight into a Grand Slam cold. So, you know, there might be, a, you know, a silver lining to this story. We'll just have to wait and see. Exactly. And just the note, Joel, on the quarantine, you know, we've got those, was it 72 players doing the, the hard, hard quarantine or, or as, as Lee said on our, on our tennis on telly episode, you know, the normal quarantine. <laughs> um, yep. but we, we had a player, Paola Bedosa, who was the first player to actually test positive seven days into her quarantine, which just goes to show, um, I guess, you know, the lag time before, um, actually that you can test positive after being exposed and it just I think highlighted the importance of like needing it to be you know not just three days quarantine not just getting a test after three days and then letting people go out and about and doing their business but making sure they do stay in that hotel for those two weeks because they're you know I think that just you know is evidence of the fact that they've got to take it incredibly seriously um imagine if she had been you know let out so yeah it's um developing situation but we had um a bit of other controversy going on surrounding Novak Djokovic which seems to be a running theme Joel I I feel like he's always issuing statements left right and center about comments that he has or has not made um and this this week it was the fact that Novak came out and sort of made um a list of of demands I suppose or suggestions to Tennis Australia about things that they could be doing to help uh, the players who are stuck in in this hard uh, quarantine. And um, it's one of those suggestions was the fact that perhaps that private houses could be provided for players um, with access to tennis courts for all those 72 players uh, stuck in the hotel, um, as well as kind of, you know, improvements for, for the food and such like. Or um, I mean... That did stink a bit, I have to say. When that came out, I was like, how unrealistic is that? 72, yeah, let's just find 72 private houses for these players. That's not going to happen. Um, Nick Kyrgios called him a tool. Uh, I know Sam Groth um, had a go at Djokovic as well. Um, There was a lot of kind of ire from some of the other, well, from some fans and um, people kind of branded Djokovic, um, you know, sort of, quite selfish for what he was saying um but I think there's been a lot of uh, misunderstanding I have to say I think he's been a bit harshly judged again for the way it's come out the Australian media I think particularly the press have been kind of really you know hard nosed and quite stern with some of the language you know uh, just seeing you know from a from a British point of view some of the the you know the headlines being you know almost kind of painting Djokovic as this villain given the you know the 
you know, obviously given that kind of the situation kind of going on, particularly for, you know, residents and, and Djokovic putting all these, you know, demands together. Um, so, you know, we've seen this, you know, we've seen this develop, develop because that, you know, those were kind of put to Tennis Australia, I think, at the start of the week. And then, you know, the media, I think, kind of came in and, you know, presented it in a way that has um, impacted Djokovic in a way that he's actually come out and given a statement just to kind of clarify everything. And I think this is sort of classic sort of, and as you said, we've seen this a few times where, you know, Adria Cup, for example, where Djokovic does one thing means the absolute best, you know, for, you know, for everyone. And I think for the, in this case, particularly for his players, um, but it comes out in a, in a completely different way. So for example, as you said, Djokovic uh, has these demands, um, Djokovic has these demands um but he want you know he's made he wanted to clarify that these were suggestions um another example is you know jock the you know, all of these demands are coming from Djokovic alone well apparently it's come from um you know a player whatsapp group so you know there it's it's him sort of in his words sort of using his position of privilege to kind of give these um you know give these thoughts to um to tennis australia um but it, it is interesting because i think you know we know djokovic is someone who you know in in tennis in australia i think is generally well liked we see that i think you know when we do have live crowds particularly in melbourne we know how good he is um at the australian open grand slam in particular um it's just it's just i think it's unfortunate i think that the the way that almost kind of I think the press kind of you know positioned this sort of stuff, it's not helped his cause in you know winning over you know the, these fans or almost kind of turning you know from his angle he, he might feel like you know they're trying to turn his fans the people who've come to love him in in Australia against him um, and I think perhaps that is why he's had to come out and, and make the statement but um, yeah I think you know to your point I think it is I think it is a bit unfair I think you know as I said it's, it's one of those he, he does mean I think he genuinely he, he, he wants the best for his players you know we've seen we've seen that before with you know the fact that he wants to have a, a player council um, you know like the PTPA you know we might not agree with it but you know he really wants the, the best for his players and again this is just an example of of that coming out. I just feel that like it's come out in a way that as a result, it has it kind of dented his image in Australia because it's, it's, you know, it's painting him as this pantomime villain that, um, you know, everyone can, everyone can look at and everyone can kind of criticize. Yeah. And I suppose because of the Adria tour last year and then the, um, you know, the default at the US Open, the media will, will know that this is kind of, again, adding more spice to to the kind of whole um, image that they perhaps want to portray of Novak. And so, yeah, I do think he's um, been unfairly criticised the way it's been, um, mis- you know, I think it's just been misconstrued, the angle that the press have taken. Um, you know, he said that the the, the 72 houses, for example, that was a suggestion. It was like part of a brainstorming of kind of potential things that they could do uh, rather than, a you know, this is absolutely what I expect um, to be provided. So um, it'd be interesting to see how things develop over the next few weeks. Like once we get into the tournament itself, how the media, you know, respond to what Novak's doing on the court and whether they kind of continue to kind of mention things like this. I think also what's kind kind of interesting if you look at this in the 
context of the big three i mean we've not heard obviously you know, i know you're a big nadal fan we've not heard a peep really from rafael nadal i would have been interested to see what you know if, if roger federer would have said anything you know stood up for the the players if if he was there um but i think we have to give credit i think to djokovic in terms of you know he he is putting his you know in some ways, he is putting his neck on the line here by kind of stepping up and and representing the players, you know, in this sort of way to give, you know, feedback to to Tennis Australia in a way that you know we've not really seen from you know other players who potentially have that position of of privilege in 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 the sport. I mean, do you think? Do you think you know Djokovic maybe should have stayed silent if if you know if if he was if it was his nature to because I feel like Nadal has that's maybe the approach Nadal has gone through in that you know he just wants to focus on the tennis not get get drawn into this this sort of you know maybe side you know sideshow sub- subject where do you kind of stand on that as a as a Rafa fan would you have liked to see him involved or are you happy for him to kind of stay quiet on the issue? Well, uh, yeah, I feel like Rafa's just like, I'm just going to let things happen and get them with it. And I just want to focus on my tennis and t- keep my head and, down. And use a colander on the balcony. What was that about? You got, <laughs> you got... <laughs> well, I do love seeing Rafa with his utensils, I have to say. Um, uh, what was I saying, Joel? I've got all distracted now by the colander. Would you have preferred to hear, I guess, Nadal say, stay silent? Or do you think, you know, there was a an opportunity for him to come out and, and do a Novak Djokovic, maybe in a more tactful way. I guess so. Yeah. I think, I think Rafa probably would have perhaps, uh, I don't think the media would have jumped on Rafa like they have uh, with Novak, but I also think that I know that these players are in this 14 day, you know, hard quarantine. And I know there are things that can, can be done, like, you know, the gym equipment to be provided, the, maybe the food to be improved, you know, but at the end of the day, like, the the laws of the laws like they've got to stay in their rooms for 14 days that is a normal quarantine to be honest and i know it's not fair i know it's not a level playing field but you know they're kind of having to go over the science and there's only so much that could be done in this situation um maybe you could look at it you know if we're still in the situation this time next year how you then plan for this eventuality happening but I, I don't know if there's, if there's only so much that could be done to kind of ameliorate the situation. Um, I mean, just this kind of brings us on to, you know, to Craig Tiley because like he obviously has had an awful lot of work on his hands putting the whole tournament together. And um, I think, you know, they're trying to do it as safely as possible. Obviously they have to, especially the kind of consensus, you know, down in Melbourne from the locals, you know, they absolutely can't mess this up because so much is on the line. But um, yeah, there's an interesting read, I think, on tennis.com, um, um, which was quite, if, if anyone hasn't read it, I'd, I'd recommend having a look at it. But they were sort of just saying about, you know, the issue really um, is how to host a Grand Slam now in the COVID era. Um, yes, you can do it safely, but how do you how do you host it in a fair manner? Um, because I feel like what with everything going on, it is kind of um, exaggerating the inequalities between, you know, the top players. We've, we've got them in in Adelaide for this exhibition. They've got a more relaxed quarantine. And, you know, we, we said earlier about there's a lot of, you know, ire about that amongst other players. Um, and it's how do you kind of stage a tournament in such a way that it's as normal as possible, um, but still staging it fairly? I mean... I don't know. What's your take on this, Joel? Because it's it, it 
He's got a very tricky job, and uh, but there have been a lot of outcries about kind of yeah preferential treatment for those top players, um, which he's kind of just said, well, they're the top players, so they kind of deserve to be treated better. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's fascinating to kind of get his perspective, and we'll put a link in the description uh, for listeners to to have a read of the article because I do think it's a really fascinating one because I do think the sort of the um, delivery of a Grand Slam has evolved, um, you know, really quickly over, you know, the last few from last season to this season from, you know, can we, can we do it? Like, yeah, as you said, the kind of the logistics of putting one on to the question now, which is more, yeah, we can put one on, but can we do it in a way where it's a fair and equal competition for, for every player involved? And, you know, he talks about the fact that, you know, he's he gives his players, he gives kind of his, I guess his uh, his biggest in his biggest assets. Um, you know, players like Nadal, Osaka, etc., preferential treatment and have them, you know, housed in in Adelaide, um, whilst ev- you know everyone else is kind of stuck in in Melbourne. Um, you know, with all these sorts of stories kind of coming out, but it's a really interesting one in terms of you know, does this does this you know make a fair competition? Does Craig does Craig Tyler's Tennis Australia, is that something that he's willing to ke- to care about? And, you know, the article kind of goes into, you know, points to the past in terms of, you know, you only have to look back to kind of last year, sorry, the last Australian Open and the, you know, the whole kind of issue with qualifying and the, the um the you know, the, the smoke situation and the, the, the air pollution. And even though it was bad to a point that play should have been stopped, um, you know that they they continued, and you know whether Crown of Craig Tilly is able to kind of, um, I guess, yeah, cre- keep the sort of um, you know, make sure. I think in his view, it's like he wants to make sure the competition is going on. He's not really bothered. I feel like if it's fair or not, you know, from the things we've seen, particularly with you know players in Ad- you know a handful of the best players in in Adelaide, is that a question he should be? factoring into you know when he is delivering this tournament i suppose for him it's you know he's got to keep sponsors happy he's got to keep you know a whole load of stakeholders who you know invest a lot of money or stand you know to gain a lot from the tournament happening and the big names being there at the latter stages and you know he's got to kind of protect those interests as well although you know i don't think that corporate interests should should win over you know the health of players and such like um especially yeah like you mentioned that the air quality last year because i think um he chose to ignore the kind of one of the measures and went with his own uh, experts on site which i think generally speaking when people try to regulate themselves that doesn't really end very well usually but um yeah it's um it's an interesting point i think it's going to be interesting to see how um how it pans out over the next few weeks i mean talking about debacles joe we go from one to the to another now because (laughs) uh diana yastremska um who flew out to melbourne on a tennis australia funded flight and is doing her you know 14 days quarantine well um she had her appeal uh to the yeah, against her, her her doping ban, um, denied um by the uh the anti doping bodies. So she has done all that for absolutely no reason because she can't play the Australian Open and she can't play any tennis tournaments whatsoever at the moment. So uh <laughs> total disaster. I shouldn't laugh. It's not 
it's not, you know, I mean, she's obviously misjudged or, you know, her hope that she would have it, you know, lifted has, has not paid off. But um, it's, yeah, just a mess. It's an egg on face sort of moment, isn't it? Yeah. I think the takeout for me here is that, you know, we all saw her uh, test positive and and fly and we saw that photo that she posted on social media and saw her fly out and we didn't really know any, anything else and we all thought she uh she you know she shouldn't be on that flight and you know I, I think it would have been better if we had known that she had appealed before she got on that flight because then i think we as fans and you know maybe the media as well mm. we can understand that you know a little bit more i still think it's a bit of it's still a bit um you know up up in the air but um yeah it's a bit of a messy situation because effectively she's she's gone through all this and and she's been one of those 72 players who's had to been forced into the hard quarantine and she's going to effectively done done all of that for nothing um and yeah at the moment she's sort of barred from playing i think any sort of future uh tennis tournaments so we'll see how that kind of continues. Um, just just on that as well, which I find really interesting is, you know, we talk about Craig Tiley and, and, and the sort of this sort of hotel quarantine. Well, the Australian Open sort of partner in Victoria, the government, they, the state of Victoria, even the government, um, they've said that they are not going to be, you know, putting any of the taxpayers money towards, you know, those chartered flights, those hotel costs. And, you know, I think that, again, is a really interesting, I don't know if that's a friction there where, between Tennis Australia and, 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 you know, and the state, because obviously they've been working together up to this point. But the fact that, you know, the state have, always, have kind of given their point of view in that, hey, we're not going to be paying for, you know, putting up these players, you know, is this tournament going to become something that is going to be really, like, really, really expensive because, you know, the sound of doing all those things does, is, doesn't sound cheap. And, you know, the Tennis Australia's pockets might be very deep, but, you know, if they're not going to have the support of the state, I don't know if that's going to make this, maybe you could do it as a one-off, but could you do that in the future? It doesn't feel a very kind of sustainable model. No, I mean, I don't know normally if there would be much investment from the state government, um, like a grant or something, but I, I don't know the kind of finances, but... Um, therefore, I mean, I understand from Craig Tiley's, Craig Tiley's perspective that, you know, if you're, if Tennis Australia, you know, delving into their reserves to fund all this, um, they're going to need to, to get kind of maximum sponsorship money coming in. And that's going to need the top players to be there. Um, and they're going to need to be protected as a result, you know, from a business kind of sense side of things, I suppose that's what they have got to protect. Um, if that's where the money is kind of flooding in for, but, um, ah, oh, yes. I mean, on, on the lighter side of things, Joel, we had some other stories in the news, uh, from quarantine. We had, uh, Bernard Tomic and his girlfriend who apparently doesn't wash her own hair. Um, that, <laughs> that made the headlines. Oh, I know. <laughs> the rounds on Twitter. I feel like you can always count on on Bernard Tomic and his girlfriend for, you know, a bit of light relief from the, you know, the situation. And, you know, we'll get on to some of our favourite also social media and, and TikTok videos, which I think has also been a big positive of, you know, players in lockdown. But um, yeah, let's talk about this, this first of all, because, um, yeah, Bernard Tomic's social media star girlfriend, Vanessa Sierra, um, she basically did a vlog um, just to highlight the sort of, uh, you know, 
hotel sort of uh situation that she kind of found found herself in um you know with her her boy with her boyfriend i was kind of like why is she there in the first place i mean i get why obviously oh, Tomich is there as well yeah is she just there along for the ride or, or like i was like is it necessary for them to bring partners like yes have mm. a coach or whatever but i, I mean i don't know I, maybe i'm just being really like harsh here but uh, i i was a bit surprised about that as well um but yeah, this she did this vlog, like you were saying, Joel. Um, and then I think actually... It did not go like, down well, did it? But I think she was trying to be ironic um, because she later said that what was she said or what was quoted on the news was taken out of context because she said something like, oh, I don't... I never wash my own hair. Like, this is awful. You know, I'm stuck in like the hotel. I've, I'm like, I've never washed my own hair. What do I do? Um, Nick Kyrgios came out on Twitter saying that she obviously has no perspective. Um <laughs> like on life uh but then you know she did come out and say oh she's been misinterpreted by the media and um she didn't mean to cause like offense it was just a bit of a joke um which fair play but <laughs> when i did have to say when i did first see that clip i was like oh my god like what is going on it's a very charged climate in mm-hmm. melbourne and australia yeah. obviously at the moment and even if she thinks it one way it might be interpreted the other just ask novak Djokovic. and mm-hmm. uh, again i think it's just another uh, you know it's another example of that um so we obviously had that um we also had putintseva you know and uh, this is like the new sam where is sam query i feel like on topic on on the podcast you know putintseva and her mouse her mouse update is she in? I just, we just need to have like a, we just need to have live updates. I think from from Putintseva's kind of hotel room on, you know, if she's found a mouse or not, because it, they just seem to be attracted to her wherever she goes. Well, she's had an accusation by the Victoria State Police Minister <laughs> that um, that perhaps she's she was feeding the mice, hence making the Ooh. problem worse. So I don't think that went down very well because you know she Putinsva found a mouse in the first room that she um, was put in um, was kind of you know complaining to the hotel to try and change the room and then eventually was given a new room but then um found another mouse and was told she couldn't then move rooms again because the hotel was full so i guess she's she's stuck with this with this with this mouse um (laughs) it reminds me joel i used to work in tourism and we used to get loads of complaints from people who you know always wanted to move to a different room for whatever reason you know the door was the wrong color or the curtains were, you know, falling <laughs> off. Um, I don't know, but it just reminded me of that. And uh, I mean, it didn't look like a big mouse, though, did it? From the from the video, it looked quite dinky. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what our list is. It. I would just got. I feel like I just would have got on with it. I like. Yes, it's not ideal, but I, I think I can. I can. I can get on with it. But um, I do quite like this sort of ongoing drama that we're we're getting. Um, so let's see. Let's see if it continues further. Who knows? Maybe the mouse will inspire her to achieve her best you know grand slam result in in the australian open and well well let's just wait let's just wait and see but um yeah we, we i think as i said i think one of the other things as well that caught my eye was all of the all of the players they are really upping their game on on social media particularly on tiktok particularly heather watson i feel um mm. for Brit- for british fans um that like the creativity i'm really impressed with the the creativity and the lengths they they're going to to put out these tiktok videos i mean i don't know if if kim you saw or any of our listeners as well heather watson i'm just going to single single her out she did a triathlon 
TikTok video, which I just thought was absolutely hilarious um, of her doing a bit of cycle, a bit of a swim in her bathtub. Um, just, <laughs> it was very it was good, so good. I, yeah. I really liked I think it was Roger Vassalan's one as well um on his Instagram and do you know that that advert you know the Honda advert the power of dreams where they have all the little oh, yes. bits of the yes. car I suppose it is or whatever and they've got like a ball or something um going from one bit to another and it's all sort of constructed very carefully so the you know, it flows and the ball kind of goes from one bit to the other. They kind of did that in, in his room. Um, well, he did that in his room, I suppose. Um, and I thought that was really clever. So definitely recommend that. And I think Pablo Cuevas has been doing some some fun stuff over on Instagram as well. So, yeah, like, I suppose what else are you going to do when you're stuck in a room for 14 days? Um, it gives an outlet for their, you know, energy and creativity. I know, listeners. Let us know if you've if you've come across any sort of player TikTok videos or Instagram videos that you think have been that have won the quarantine uh, battle. Uh, let us know because we'd love to we'd love to see them because we think they I think genuinely for me they've been some of the best parts of uh, the players being in quarantine in Melbourne so far. But um, we're going to take a quick break now. Uh, I hope you can join us in the second half where we're going to be looking at the ATP Cup draws as well as all the new events announced for the ATP schedule this season. Don't go anywhere. This is The Passing Shot and you're joined by Joel and Kim and we are going to move on to, well, we would normally move on, Kim, to, you know, your one of your favourite sections of the podcast, Mysterious Player. I don't actually have a mysterious player for you this week. I know, big, big, big shame, but I do have a good quiz question a good quiz question for you and for our listeners as well, if if you're up for it. <laughs> uh, well, you had me at quiz, Joel. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm definitely up for that. I'm, I'm a massive quizzer. So, um, yeah, let, let's see what you got. So I found a good stat, I found a good stat this week. Um, happened in the Istanbul Challenger. Japanese player Go Soeda became the third player in the ATP Challenger Tour to have won at least 400 matches, which is pretty, pretty, wow. pretty, pretty impressive. Um, so my question to you and to our listeners is, he is one of those players, but can you name the other two? Any, any ideas? I know wow. this is quite niche and I'll be, yeah. I'll be impressed if you get, well, even one of these because uh yeah because i'm looking at the level below obviously the atp tour mm. so i'm thinking of sort of your classic classic chally classic chally players i'm just trying to think it's go so Ada's fairly old isn't he kind of mid 30s so it's going to be someone well i guess sort of late 30s or, or older who's now retired um Oh, oh! This is quite a tricky one. Uh, I'm, who's that really tall? Um, oh, because we mentioned Sam Grother, and I've got him in my mind. But oh, that's not bad. I, no, no, I, yeah. I was gonna. I was thinking of Dennis Kudler, but he's too young. I don't think he <laughs> would have. Like, he does do challies, but like, he is too young. Um, is it someone like Daniel Jimeno Traver or like one of those like, really <laughs> niche? Spaniards. Yeah. That... Well, that, that's not a bad shout because 
you know, there's obviously a lot of clay. I, I guess there's a lot of clay events yes. on the chal- on the Chally Tour. It's a good way to, I guess, pick up a lot of clay court wins. Her- um, Her- Her- Horacio Zabios. I mean, I know he's really ooh. good in doubles at the moment, but I feel like in singles, he would be maybe on that He level. had that win over Nadal, didn't he? That's all I remember him for. Oh, back in, gosh. Did he? Back in, <laughs> I think so. Like back oh, in, I- anyway, oh, no. completely, Zabios, completely, completely wrong. Uh. Um you, you you're kind of close though i'll give you i'll give you and our listeners the answers i was looking for i was looking okay. for ruben ramirez hidalgo wow <laughs> he sounds spanish i was kind <laughs> of halfway there and uh paolo lorenzi from italy oh, who yes he's quite yeah him yeah. he's a classic chali italian classic, yeah very wily veteran he must be about 40 Mm. ish now i would say oh no okay <laughs> well there you go learned something new this week um i think mysterious player will will be featuring next week but another little bit of a, a quiz challenge there um that brings us to the passing shot mailbag joel uh we had justin who got in touch with us on email who asked us following benoit pair ordering mcdonald's takeaway from quarantine what would be your takeaway of choice if you were in the same situation? So <laughs> what would you order, Joel, uh, if oh, you were that... stuck in hotel quarantine? McDonald's? Kim, how dare you? You think I would order McDonald's? How Sorry, dare Joel, you? Sorry, Joel, you are always in McDonald's at like 2am <laughs> in like South London somewhere or other. I mean, before, before COVID, of course. Yeah, I, have a, I do have a deep knowledge of mcdonald's uh mcdonald's <laughs> sites in south of the river in london yeah um but no i i wouldn't go for mcdonald's i would go for i go for another chain i know this is i feel like this is, i'm gonna be i'm gonna be judged incredibly by you and probably by our listeners as well i've got to go i've got to go for a cheeky nando's um <laughs> gotta go for a cheeky nando's specifically half chicken okay. half chicken medium sauce with peri peri salted chips and creamy mash that is my that is my go-to order and that that would probably be the first thing i would order in quarantine if i had a look at the hotel's food and i you know i didn't fancy it i'd be on the i'd be on the phone to uh to nando's assuming it exists in australia i don't i don't even know if that's the case actually but even even if it's not i'd get it flown in I don't know. I'm just, you've gone double, you've gone double carbs there. You've gone chips and mash. That's like, you know, double potato there. <laughs> carbs on carbs. It's, oh, uh, well. it's, it's a, it's a, it's a Joel, it's a Joel Girling specialty. <laughs> okay. Well, I, d- I don't mind a bit of Nando's. Um, although I, I go for the hot sauce, I have to say. Um, oh, okay. I know. Um, I, yeah, I, did, I, I was kind of going more on the Melbourne kind of side of things. I thought if I was in a, you know, hotel in Melbourne, I would order from Stalactites, which I don't know if you've been there, Joel. It's like a Greek restaurant in Melbourne. I think it's quite famous. I think a lot of the tennis players go there. Um, and they do really good Greek food. So like I'd get a souvlaki or anything involving feta, uh, in some capacity um, or a Turkish gazleme because I have had some lovely gazleme out in Melbourne in the past so I think I'd be going down going down that route but yeah great question um, from Justin so thank you um, I, d- I have to say Joel I, I told my mum about Benoit Pair ordering McDonald's <laughs> because yeah. the hotel food wasn't very good and she was like but that's even worse. You know, McDonald's <laughs> isn't known for like being the, the healthiest of food. And she was like, you know, professional tennis players, they should know better. But I mean, everyone's got to have a McDonald's from time to time, I suppose. Um, but that does bring us on now to 
to to back to the tennis. Let's get off food for the moment. Uh, ATP Cup, Joel. Um, the draw has been announced. We've got our four groups uh, with three countries in each. So, I mean, what do you make of the groups? I'll just quickly run through them. Group A, we've got Serbia, Germany and Canada. Sounds quite a tough group there. Group B, Spain, Greece and Australia. Group C, Austria, Italy and France. And Group D, Russia, Argentina and Japan. What's your uh, analysis on those? You're just reading out those groups. For me, if there was a group of death, I think it would be Group A. I think that is the trickiest one to to win out from. Serbia, Germany, Canada. Obviously, Serbia have got um, Novak Djokovic. Germany with Sasha Zverev. Obviously, got a very good doubles team in Kravitz and Mies. Personal faves. Um, yeah in mm-hmm. there as well and then Canada have got you know Shapovalov and then I I feel like Milos Raonic yes he could be injured but also very on his day you know we obviously you know he was in a Grand Slam final like I think he is also very tough uh you know can be a very tough nut to crack on his day so I think that for me is a very very tricky group to come out of um as the winners I feel like all of those teams could kind of beat each other I mean the format is um two singles and a doubles with the four group winners making the, the semi-finals. I feel like a lot of ties will come down to that doubles. Um, mm, yeah. And, and that's why I'm, I'm sort of favoring the teams that have a really strong, you know, doubles pair like, like Germany in, in Kravitz and Mies. But um, yeah, it's, I think, you know, it's, it's a good list. There's a good player field as well. I think 12 of the, the top 13 ATP singles players are taking part. Um, I feel, I feel, I've got to be sorry. I've got, I feel like I've got to be sorry for Greece, Kim, because they've got, they've got Stefanos Sissipas. He can't be absolutely everywhere at once. But I mean, they've not. He's, they've got his brother as well. But like, that's that's a you know, if we're talking one man teams, uh, you know, that really feels like it's going to hang on how well Sissipas how well um Sissipas Stefanos Sissipas uh, performs for them yeah not not Petros Sissipas um <laughs> I, I do feel a bit yeah they are massively the underdogs as a result and you know we don't have Great Britain in in the ATP Cup uh, we don't have the USA so yeah we've got Greece which you know is quite a one-sided team but um yeah I, I have to say I think yeah Group A does look the toughest on paper Group C is quite quite sort of tricky balance run. I think Group D, I can see, well, yeah, not the toughest. I mean, I know Japan have got Nishikori, but um, well, I suppose Nishioka's not bad, but um, I mean, not bad, but I just looking at their doubles, um, the doubles pairings for me, yeah, that kind of cut the mustard really. Um, if I mean, I do think with Germany, it depends if, if, if Zverev's going to turn up and play well or not. And obviously he's not with Ferrer anymore. I don't know what to expect from him. So I've kind of, I've, I'm thinking he's not going to turn up. So I've gone for Serbia to come through that group. But uh, I think you have gone for Germany, haven't you? I know you were quite keen on them before. We'll come to prediction time in a sec, because I know everyone loves hearing our our predictions and how terrible they are. Um, But we've got, yeah, I mean, we're going to have, we're going to find out how good you know, Zverev is going to be because he's, you know, obviously he will come up against Djokovic in the group stages. Sissipas Nadal as well is going to be a matchup we can look forward to uh, in that first week, uh, which for me is, I think actually for me, that's probably the the 
you know, if that does happen for me, that's the one match I'm probably looking forward to most. Uh, Medvedev, Schwartzman as well. Um, Shapovalov, Djokovic could always be quite tasty. And you also got Dumanor versus Nadal, which I, Kim, Ooh. I don't know if you remember that matchup happened at the ATP Cup last, last year. year. Yeah. And Nadal came through that in three, but it was a very, very, very high quality, uh, match from which I know Dumanor didn't really, I think he injured himself in that match. He didn't really kind of messed up his sort of schedule afterwards, but he really played really well in that first set and uh, for a long period of that match. And I'm kind of curious to see how that um, rematch unfolds as well. Yeah. And obviously Dumanor won um, the event in Antalya, I believe, um, just a few weeks ago. Was it Antalya? Yes, I believe it was. Um, so in in perhaps fairly decent form, not sure how Rafa's going to come out of the blocks at the start of the season, but I've um, I've, I've put down. I, I'm gonna. I'm I'm predicting Spain to win. Joel, the whole shebang. I'm I'm putting my faith in the Spanish, <laughs> um, because I guess I just want them to win. Um, not even going to pretend that I'm not biased here. So yeah, that that's my prediction. I've got Spain to win. What about you? I've actually gone Germany to win. Uh, as I said, I think a lot of these, I've got a lot of these, got a lot of these matches coming down to the doubles. And I think Germany with Struth um, and then Kravitz and Mies to kind of support Zverev, who I'm hoping, I'm hoping will kind of pick up where he left off uh, last year, uh, last season even. Um, I think they will be quite formidable. And I think, I just think across the board, they're just kind of very, very strong and and even if they kind of go into that doubles at, at one all um i think Kravitz and Mies are pretty formidable if you compare kind of the rest of the the doubles team so i'm going germany to win and then in my kind of group in my sort of group um winners i've got germany spain italy and russia so i've gone with i've gone with spain i think they'll you know take oh, okay. out the fa- home i think they'll take out the home fav- you know the home favorites australia and obviously greece um i think russia are quite an obvious favorite in that group d with with argentina and japan you know particularly with, <laughs> with medvedev you... yes what okay. medvedev and rublev yeah. medvedev and rublev I, that's I... just 2-0 they, they yes, don't need but... a good doubles team they're just going to go 2-0 every time well you mean they don't need Aslan Karatsev and Evgeny Donskoy? <laughs> that they won't they won't be needed. I've gone for Argentina from that group because I've gone full on Horacio Zabios, who is quite a decent doubles player. So is Maximo Gonzalez. Um and I thought Diego Schwartzman, you know, he's he's uh, you know, on the up. Um and I went for Italy. No, sorry, I went for France. I went for France as well because of Mahu and Roger Vasselin in the dubs in that group. But um, I think it's all to play for, as the saying goes. Listeners, what do you think? Uh, who do you think is going to win the ATP Cup? Let us know on social media. Very quickly, I had Italy in Group C. So we've got quite a bit of difference in opinion there. Um, we're probably both we're probably go- both going to be yeah, wrong. and I've gone for um, Serbia as well. <laughs> Let, let's 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 wait and see i'm sure uh yeah i'm sure what i've said is going to be completely wrong and uh it's the you know the tournament is going to prove it but let's wait and see um 
let's move on to kind of talk about the ATP and WTA, just generally the, the tennis schedule um, that's coming up because we've had quite a few announcements um, over the last week. Um, I've got to be honest, it's, <laughs> I feel like we had to have like 15 minutes before coming on to just like understand all the changes that have happened because we've got some uh, changes to talk about to cover um, in the build-up um to the australian open and then we've got some new tournaments that have been added specifically um on the atp side so let's just kind of talk about the uh things that have happened in the the lead-up week to the the australian open so we're going to have an additional wta tournament from the 3rd to the 7th of february uh which is going to be for those currently in kind of that hard quarantine we talked about and that will be played alongside uh the two kind of other wta 500s kind of taking place so that's happening on the women's side and then on the men's side uh the atp events are going to be pushed back a day with the 250s starting on the monday and the atp cup starting on the tuesday to allow those players who are in that full hard quarantine whatever you want to call it um a little bit more uh time to uh well to have some time to to practice. Um, I think Tennis of Australia have already said they're going to get preferential treatment as well, which I think seems fair in terms of, you know, practice scheduling, ice baths, that sort of thing. Um, So yeah, what what do you make of that? What do you make of that so far, Kim? Because, you know, we talked earlier about, you know, the, you know, the, the, the need to make this tournament, the, the grand slam fair. Do you think these sort of changes are helping remedy that? Yeah, I think um, have, adding in that extra, you know, WTA event, I think that's a, a good way of trying to sort of remedy the the situation, um, gives them more time rather than expecting them to have kind of gone straight into, you know, the event starting on the 31st of Jan um, and pushing back the ATP events as well. Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's good. I mean, it does mean that we've just got so many tournaments <laughs> uh, happening in the space of a week. Like mm-hmm. it's just going to be insane uh, as a result, um, which I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to to the 31st of January onwards uh, as a result. But uh, we've got yeah. that exhibition as well in Adelaide, so there's literally going to be so much tennis uh, to well for us to sink our teeth into and kind of and kind of catch up on. Um, the other the other sort of things that came out this week on the ATP side, they've announced that there's going to be two new. 250 events um they've granted single year licenses for the 2021 season for a tournament in singapore following the australian open on indoor hard as well as a tournament in marbella uh on clay following the miami open the hungarian open uh, is going to move uh to belgrade in serbia um, which is, of course, Novak Djokovic's hometown. There's going to be no U.S. Clay Court Championships, which was a bit of a, um, you know, I feel like it was a qu- bit of a quirky, quirky setup. But I kind of like that tournament. But um, that is going to be uh, postponed. It's not going to take place this year. It should be back next year. Um, so yeah, I mean, again, what, what what do you make of that? I think it's interesting. You know, I think they're just hope they're just putting on more tournaments. So you know tennis players can buy their trade and they're not just kind of sitting around which is kind of good to see um so yeah Marbella is a, an interesting choice that I feel for a, a new tournament 
Well, I mean, southern Spain, what's not to like? Uh, but I think a lot of a lot of tournaments, obviously, they can't run as normal. So they're moving elsewhere to wherever is, you know, up for up for hosting uh, the, the Belgrade tournament. Obviously, they had a Belgrade event previously, which was, I think, run by the Djokovic family, wasn't it? I think um, back in 2009 for a couple of years after that. Uh, this one is going to be um, directed by Georgie Djokovic, who is the younger brother of Novak Djokovic. Uh, he was the tournament director of the Adria Cup. So um, let's hope this one goes a lot more smoothly than the Adria Cup did. Um, but yes, it's, it's being you know kept within the the Djokovic family. So that'll be quite an interesting one. Um, but yes, we at least ha- we're having more things being announced, which is... Uh, always good and uh i mean i it doesn't really matter for for us fans i suppose where where in the world it's happening because you know we're not able to go and see it play live at the moment so you know the more the merrier that i can watch on telly at home uh whilst we, we're kind of all going through this then yeah the better really yeah, and I'm just adding to that. Actually, it's great to see. I think the you know the ATP be flexible and open to these sorts of single year licenses um, to have these new tournaments to make sure that kind of there are opportunities to kind of play tennis throughout the year. Um, there's also been a few sort of updates for existing tournaments in terms of increasing either the main draw size or the qualifying draw size. So again, I think that's a really good. Uh, really good initiatives by the ATP um, to make sure that players have the opportunity to play and kind of continue, um, you know, continue to play tennis throughout the year, which no doubt is again going to be a challenge this year. Um, so it's it's great to see that they're doing these things um, to help kind of combat that. Um, but yeah, um, Kim, we've we've kind of come to the end really of 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 the the catch up. We've kind of caught up on on all of the I think the biggest stories this week, but we have one more outstanding announcement to make don't we <laughs> we do joel yeah so it's not massively exciting but i, I mean it is, i think it is because i love tea but um yeah we, we're just um we you may have noticed listeners that when we had tennis on telly on we asked him about whether he drinks tea or not and we've got a guest coming up soon as well which we'll be asking the same question um so basically we're creating the passing shot brew board 2021 um for any of our guests on the passing shot meat series we're gonna ask them what their favorite hot beverage is they will go on the brew board we will be on there as well so if you'd like to be on our brew board for the season let us know yours what is your favorite hot drink so it can be tea it can be coffee could be hot chocolate it could be um, I don't know. What other hot beverages are there? Hot elderflower. I love a bit of hot elderflower. Um, I mean, Joel, what, what's your um, what's your favourite drink of choice? Because I, I don't feel like you're a natural tea. I don't feel like you're a natural tea drinker. I know. I know we're, we're British podcasts and... Of course, I should be a massive tea drinker. And, you know, listeners, if you, if it is, if tea is your answer, I'd love, we'd love to know specifically if you've got any sort of exotic tea bags you'd like to put in, you know, how many sugars, you know, if, do you have what sort of milk? The more, the more specific, the more exotic, the better, because being quite frank my, my choice for the brew Are you board looking for inspiration well, a, yeah i am basically because my my sort of uh brew of choice is just it's just builder's tea it's just builder's tea kim i'm i'm really sorry i'm i'm very sort of 
um, very kind of standard on on the tea front. Yeah, so for me, builders tea is 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 the one I, I go to if if I want a a hot, a hot drink to watch uh, to watch the tennis. Well, I was just going to say, if anyone's listening from outside the UK who doesn't know what builders tea is, then uh, it's basically quite a strongly brewed black tea with sort of a, a medium amount of milk. So it's kind of like your bog standard tea, I suppose. Um, <laughs> yeah, I feel like, Joel, you should branch out. And I think listeners, let us know yours favourite so Joel can get a bit of inspiration, um, especially as the Aussie Open's coming up, you know, got cold mornings here in uh, London and you want to, you know, get a bit of winter warmth going, get a new tea in your uh, schedule. Um I, I, I did used to like builder's tea, but I have to say I don't I don't have milk in my tea anymore. So I'm diversifying somewhat. And I, I like a rooibos tea, um, like a the South African kind of red bush tea, rooibos. I think I think I'm saying it right, rooibos. Yeah, that's a really good non-caffeinated alternative to like a regular black tea. So, yeah, listeners, let us know. Let us know yours so we can add you onto the board. As, you said, as Kim said, we are going to be asking that question to all of our guests on our Passing Shot Meet series this season. It's always going to be the last question we ask our, our guests, so look out for that one. Um, but in the meantime, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of The Passing Shot. If you have enjoyed listening to us on Apple Podcasts, make sure to leave us a rating and comment. And to say up to date on all of the news leading into the Australian Open, make sure to subscribe to The Passing Shot on your podcasting platform of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, CastBox, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcast, make sure you hit that subscribe button and keep up to date with The Passing Shot. And you can follow us on social media at Passing Shot Pod. We're on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. So do give us a follow if you don't already and tell all your friends to follow us as well. Um, and you can also drop us a line on email, passingshotpod at gmail.com. Let us know if you have any questions for our mailbag feature and let us know all your thoughts uh, over the course of the next few weeks on social media. We will be back next week with another catch up. Looking forward to all the live tennis in the first round of events in Melbourne, including the ATP Cup. We will also be releasing a midweek special uh, from our Passing Shot Meet series. We're going to be in conversation with Stephen Blush talking about all things world team tennis uh, as part of his new book, Bustin' Balls, World Team Tennis 74 to 78, Pro Sports, Pop Culture and Progressive Politics. So look out for that one. Probably going to release it on Tuesday or Wednesday. We've already recorded it. It's an absolutely really interesting uh, take on world team tennis, particularly in its formative years. Um, I do recommend kind of listening to it if you have a moment so look out for that one midweek and we will be back next uh we will be back next weekend uh for a catch-up with joel and kim so i hope you can join us for that then but in the meantime i hope you're doing well wherever you are in the world and we will see you again soon So, Joel, do you have a biscuit of choice to go with your builder's tea? <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Dunking. I have a biscuit of choice. It's a bourbon. But is that a dunkable biscuit? I'm not sure. It is because the, the gooey cream bit kind of, you know, 
goes a bit wetter and then you can basically a bourbon is a really mediocre um tim tam i think <laughs> a tim tam without the chocolate bit on the outside it's like a really <laughs> underwhelming uh biscuit actually i think <laughs> i'd recommend a mcvitie's chocolate digestive myself yeah hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 